day six in my quest to find Mike Tannehill, and I finally found him, at last. After following all the leads, all of them by faith, ramming my head against brick wall after brick wall, dead ends nearly every time, because that's the point of faith, right? To build up thicker heads, so that when the real banging comes, we're ready for it. And also to learn lessons, like, Maybe to do a better job of following evidence or something. Really, I, I don't know. It's not important. But what is important is that I found Mike Tannehill. <laughs> and I found him in a place you would least expect. In a small Middle Eastern archaeological site outside the ruins of Eridu. Eridu. A town built right after the flood subsided where Noah actually lived and where the previously translated prophet Enoch flew down his city in a spaceship from above to pick up the kangaroos to take them to their new home in Australia. John Hammond says now. Faith Detective strikes again. It's true. Eridu. 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 Noah Something in my gut told me that Mike would be there. So I bought a plane ticket, and I flew there. It wasn't hard to follow the trail of empty Tootsie Roll wrappers once I arrived to find the location of the fabled Last Supper of Noah. You know, that Last Supper of Noah where he was a guest at a fancy dinner party on the night of the flood. Everybody knows this story, right? John Hammond says now. You'll hear more about it later on. But as I was rummaging through the dust, I found trace amounts of cricket and grasshopper entrails because we all know how much Noah loved eating cricket and grasshopper entrails. Tough to get those entrails out of those little critters, but they're quite tasty, trust me. And where there's a will, there's a way. Now, of course, there were also traces of funeral potatoes and a small green stain on the floor that could only have been left by the green jello that Noah himself had been eating when he heard that first crack of thunder and rose from his seat, knocking over the jello so that he could get back to the ark before the fountains of water from the earth bubbled up and just boiled everyone. A merciful act from God, so that unborn spirits still waiting to come down to the earth would not have to be born into such a wicked culture that existed, apparently at that time, in every inch of the defiled earth. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I would have hated being born into a wicked generation. <laughs> So yeah, I knew that Mike had been there, recreating Noah's Last Supper. And I was right, because faith detectives are always right. Eventually. Think of it as a process, okay? And at the end of this process, you're always right. So if you're not right, it just means that you haven't reached the end of your process yet. See how that works? But my mission was complete. I had found Mike Tannehill just as he was about to get naked and recreate that whole Noah scene with the sun. I won't gross you out with the details, but I asked him to team up with me to solve the case of the seven deadly heresies, and he said that he would. So expect more on that tomorrow, because I have a flight to catch to get back from Eridu. Now, Eridu. This is Infants on Thrones. Fly.
philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is the last <laughs> of the Mike Tannehill, Week of Tannehill episodes uh, called The Intentional Literalist, a response to the unintentional racist, obviously, uh, where we talk about the Noah myth. And um, I don't know, it's been kind of interesting. This was published four years ago in March 2014. So it's been four years since Mike's been on Infants on Thrones. And of course, uh, this is all leading up to the Seven Deadly Heresies where we have Mike come back and have a conversation with me and John and Bob. And then we did a part three with Mike as well that involves John, Bob and Randy. So you'll be hearing those um, coming up in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> but it's been, it's been really interesting for me to put these episodes together and to kind of hear the, the changes, the evolution of Infants on Thrones, um, at least going back as, as far as four years ago. Uh, so anyway, I hope it's been interesting for you as well, and that the uh, eventual Mike appearance on Seven Deadly Heresies, or Heresies, isn't uh, totally anticlimactic. But anyway, this is a fun one, Noah's Ark. It's a little frustrating, too. You know, one of the reasons why we stopped having Mike on is because it just turned into like this punching bag thing, you know, like putting forward all of these things that he couldn't respond to and couldn't answer, and because the answer is just, hey, he's accepting this on faith. What more is there to say on that? But it's still fun to listen to. So here it is. No further adieu. Mike Tannehill, the intentional literalist. There's a fellow by the name of Noah, built an ark. Everybody knows he built an ark. You say, what did Noah do? He said, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was in his rec room sawing away. He's making a few things for the home there. He's a good carpenter. These are the sounds of my youth. Noah. Somebody call? I was probably seven or eight years old, and I would build myself a little box fort and bring in the record player, and boom. It was me and Bill Cosby just having a blast. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. (laughs) Right. And I loved that he was having this fun conversation between Noah and God, characters I knew from primary and Sunday school. And look, this really funny guy who isn't Mormon, Mom, is Bill Cosby Mormon? Because I'm sure I checked. But this really funny guy was talking about them, and people were laughing, and I just loved it. And I didn't totally understand it, but I loved it. Where are you? What do you want? I've been good. You know, that was my favorite line. What do you want? I've been good. It just really resonated with me. And on some level, I think I understood the slightly less than reverent approach to God here. You know, the subtle and not so subtle sarcasm in Bill Cosby's voice. 
But I certainly didn't understand that some people in the audience were laughing because of how utterly ridiculous this whole God and Noah story seemed to them. I mean, I was right at the age of accountability and a child of God and had like a noble lineage in the priesthood, and, and it wasn't utterly ridiculous to me. I want you to build an ark. Yeah, that one got a really big response. Maybe it's because they aren't Mormon and they just aren't used to knowing what it feels like when God is talking to them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's got to be it. (laughs) They don't know. But I would know if God talked to me, like he probably will someday. And yeah, I can see a little bit how silly it might be if he started bringing all these animals to me and stuff. But... Of course, Noah had, had a heck of a job, really. He had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. <laughs> and uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. We find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. (laughs) So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? (laughs) What do you want? Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. Hey, well, I'm sick and tired. Of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> sick and tired this whole mess of I've done. The whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me. You're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked off there laughing. I hear him all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an ark? People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there. How you doing, Tarzan? How's everything sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery and nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom! Right on top of it. You're running around and you're supposed to know all and see all. Like I said before, you let me go out there and do all this stuff here. You never even looked in the bottom of that ark. Have you looked down there? No. Who's going to clean up that mess down there? That's me. I'll tell you that. I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm letting all these animals out. And then I'm going to burn down this ark. And I'm going to Florida somewhere because you haven't done nothing. I'm sick and tired of all this mess. You're pulling around and you haven't done nothing. And you got it raining. It's not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was... 
See, there was something strangely faith-affirming about this Noah bit to me. Even at a young age, I could indulge in the silliness of the story, but when it comes right down to it, eventually it's going to start raining, and you're going to have to rely on God to save you. And he will, as long as you're one of the good ones. So let's be sure to be one of the good ones, you know? Like our special guest for today's episode. You know, one of those guys who believes in the literalness of this story, despite how silly or impossible it may seem. Someone who accepts some things and rejects other things and reframes the entire scope of pretty much everything in the world that is real so that when the church comes out with this essay on LDS.org, he isn't running off to a stake president and bitching about it again because he already knows that prophets are prophets and the scriptures are pretty much infallible except in those cases where they aren't. And most importantly, that with God, nothing is impossible. And that's how we can all be a little bit more like our guest today. No, he's not the unintentional racist. Not this time. What did you think, Mike, of being called an unintentional racist? <laughs> that was funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but did, I mean, but did, did you think I was right that because, like, what I was saying about you was that you're just being true to the faith. And we never included that. Uh, I had a black girlfriend in high school. No, we didn't. I, I said that after the fact, so it didn't make it to the show. Yeah, well, we can put it in this one. And we just did. And you know what else? She wasn't even Mormon. You go, Mike. Nothing unintentional this time around. Nope, this time it's on purpose. So welcome back, Mike Tannehill, the intentional literalist. <laughs> Infants on thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to another episode of Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and we have a lot of material to cover today. Now, several of you have said that you would rather that we have longer episodes that take more time to produce than shorter, multi-part episodes that get the info out to you quicker, but piecemeal. So, all right, this won't be a multi-parter, although it could, but it may be a while before it comes out. So... Before we jump into our discussion with Mike, let me give you a bit of background here. I got to come poop at your house. No, that's not the background that I meant. Now, a few weeks ago, Wednesday, March 12th to be exact, Meridian Magazine published a brief article written by Ronald P. Millett called In Defense of the Prophet Noah and the Great Flood. Now, I'm not completely sure what offense this defense is in response to, but since it's mentioned in the first paragraph, it was probably the much-publicized debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye on science versus creationism. And Ronald Millett... Sorry, Ronald P. Millett saw this as an opportunity to further differentiate Mormon teaching from Christian teaching on the matter. Basically, that we don't have to just rely on ancient prophets to know this literally happened, but we can know from modern prophets as well. So here's what he says. He says, Ancient and modern prophets, however, attest to the literal reality of miraculous worldwide flood. Scientific analysis can suggest how God performed this great work and why it is very different from known historical floods. 
Ancient calendars derived from the solar system's celestial bodies correlate with the Bible to also support the reality of the Great Flood. Um, can I get a footnote, please? What the hell is he talking about? Ancient calendars? I'd like to see those. He goes on to say that in previous articles, I have discussed the great miracles of the scriptures, including the flood. I would recommend reading Moroni Reveals a God of Miracles and Restoration of Genesis, the Ascension and Return of the City of Enoch. And there's a hyperlink, and I just had to click on it. So I want to encourage you. I mean, usually I'm not encouraging people to go to Meridian Magazine, but... This is worth it. So this is an article that he wrote on January 28, 2014. Restoration of Genesis, the ascension and return of the city of Enoch. And if you don't know the story about the city of Enoch, it's pretty remarkable. And it does tie into this whole Noah story. All right, let's hit pause for a second because I'm going to take you on a little journey. But don't worry, I'll bring you right back here to this Meridian article It just may take a little while. There is a forbidden book lost for centuries that includes fallen angels, bloodthirsty giants, and a warning to all humanity. The Book of Enoch is named for the man who the Holy Bible says walked with God. Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. The book of Enoch is named for a man who's mentioned in one sentence in the book of Genesis. We only know one sentence worth of information about him. And yet, somebody stopped, paused on that name, and thought, hmm, Enoch, if he was taken up into heaven, what might he have seen? So this is a reference to the unknown author of the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch is an example of ancient pseudepigrapha, where an author assumes the voice of an ancient prophet, Enoch in this case, to fill in the gaps and to tell the rest of the story. Now, this documentary doesn't touch on Joseph Smith's pseudepigraphal attempts with Moses or his elaboration on the Enoch story at all, but it's essentially the same type of thing. And one would think if there was any common thread or divine influence on either of these two documents that there would be a lot of similarities. And there have been people like Nibley and others who really make a stretch to say that there are, but I want you to listen to what the book of Enoch says, compare it to what we see in the book of Moses, and there's really not a lot of similarity here. It is a daunting manuscript, five volumes containing 108 chapters. For many ancient Christians, the book of Enoch was essential, yet it was banned from the Christian Bible. We don't know why this literature was ultimately excluded from the canon. Um, Perhaps it's because of its description of the fall of the rebel angels and their mating with mortals. What? So there were fallen angels that mated with women and fathered a race of giants? Is that, that sounds like Middle Eastern folklore. That can't be seeping through into the Old Testament and then later into the book of Moses, could it? The answer is yes, it, it absolutely could. The book of Enoch begins with a warning to all humanity. 
that a divine judgment has been rendered and a sentence will be imposed. God tells Enoch that all life on earth will be destroyed in a violent flood. And, as with the story in Genesis, God blames this evil on the sons of God, angels who lusted after the daughters of men. These angels are sometimes referred to as watchers. They keep constant watch. And they decide one day, about 200 of them, that they're going to descend to the earth. They would like to very much make contact with these mortal women. The Book of Enoch may have been an attempt to expand on the mysterious giants, the sons of God, and the daughters of the earth spoken of in Genesis. Anytime you read the book of Genesis, there are all kinds of unanswered questions. Suddenly, there is this quick few verses at the beginning of the flood story about giants in the land that come from the sons of God mixing with the daughters of the earth. And you stop and think, wait a minute, what's this all about? It's like it went by too fast. And you want to grab it and say, wait a minute, what was this? And they began to go into them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments. And they became pregnant and they bare great giants whose height was 3,000 L's. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. Somebody hold me. I'm scared. That these angels have crossed over this boundary that they shouldn't have. They were spiritual beings and they were to remain as such when they decided to descend upon earth. This unleashed upon the earth all sorts of problems. Not only these giants who are bloodthirsty and violent, but also these angels went on to teach humankind a variety of forbidden crafts. They also taught human beings how to make weapons of war. Okay, 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 okay. I can hear some of you right now saying to yourself... Hang on a second here. This episode is supposed to be about Noah and the Flood, right? And about how a believing Mormon like Mike can consciously ignore all the crazy things about this story and just intentionally choose to believe it. You know, be an intentional literalist. So what's all this Book of Enoch, Watchers, Giants crap? Well, I'm glad you asked, because all this Book of Enoch, Watchers, Giants crap is the whole reason that God sent the Flood in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there was an actual flood. I'm saying that this story of Noah was anciently a much larger story and connected to other things. And the reason for the flood was to rid the world of the wickedness caused by these giants and the fallen angels. Now, we even still have these really fuzzy, obscure survivals of this tradition in our Bible and in the book of Moses as well. I mean, look at Genesis chapter 6. Verse 2 talks about the sons of God seeing the daughters of men and that they were fair and they took them for wives, all of which they chose. Now, why is this an introduction to the flood narrative? What does this have to do with the great wickedness that had to be cleansed? Well, verse 4 tells us that there were giants in the earth in those days when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children unto them. And then in verse 5, there is this continual wickedness that's referenced. And in verse 6, God's having some pretty major regrets. And in verse 7, God vows to hit the reset button. And then in verse 8, you get an introduction to Noah, and the whole narrative is kicked off. 
And then, of course, in the book of Moses that Joseph Smith wrote, he carries over the same themes. Moses 7.15 talks about the giants that were in the land that were fighting against the people of Enoch and the great wickedness that was in the earth and how the city of Zion became a refuge from all this wickedness and Enoch and Zion was taken away and then Noah was left to deal with all of the leftover wickedness. So this is all part of the same story. Or it used to be. And it used to be quite popular. This version of the fall of the angels was very popular in its day and maintained popularity for centuries to come. When we look at Dante's work on the Inferno, it's largely out of the material in in Enoch. When we look at various snips of the New Testament, Enoch seems to be in play. In Corinthians, when Paul talks about women covering their hair so the angels won't be seduced and tempted, it goes back to the fallen angels' tradition. And you know what I love about stories like this? I love how people twist them and shape them to fit whatever worldview or belief system that they're wanting to support. Now, here's a video that I found on YouTube about this whole Book of Enoch story. Listen to how this evangelical Christian uses the information to explain the role of Satan and why it was okay for God to kill all these people. I mean, really, this almost sounds like a plot line from Harry Potter. What about when Joshua and the nation of Israel entered the land of Canaan? They were instructed to wipe out every man, woman, and child of certain tribes. I've talked to some people whose entire rejection of the Bible and God rests on this portion of the biblical text. This video is for those people. What no one ever mentions when recounting this issue is that according to the story itself, the tribes that they killed were non-human hybrids called the Nephilim. Wait a minute. Did he just say non-human hybrids? Uh... And they were huge. They had iron beds 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. It says that the Israelites were like grasshoppers in the sight of the Canaanites. These Nephilim were the offspring of very evil spiritual beings, and they were apparently the primary reason God sent the flood. Satan knew of the prophecies of one that would come to defeat him, and before any of the prophets came to expand on how this was to occur, all he knew at that point was that the Messiah would be a human. The Nephilim were an attempt to infiltrate the entire bloodline of humanity so that the Messiah could not be a full-blooded man. And if it weren't for Noah and his family, it would have worked. Then when Abraham found out from God that the land of Canaan was to be given to Abraham, Satan also found out. And he had over 400 years to plant this minefield of Nephilim in the land of Canaan in an attempt to thwart the plan of God. Genesis 6-4 tells us that the Nephilim were also on the earth after the flood, and it is them who Joshua was told to wipe out. Tribes such as the Rephaim, the Emim, the Horam, the Zamzumim were all giants. The kingdom of Og was the land of the giants. Later, we also find Arba and Anak and his seven sons, the Anakim, also giants, along with the famed Goliath and his four brothers. Now, if you want to say, well, God should have let the 13-foot-tall evil hybrids bent on the destruction of humanity for the purpose of wiping out any chance for the redemption of man go, then you're free to think what you want. But please remember, this is according to the biblical narrative itself, which is where the accusations come from in the first place. 
point is that if you're going to claim that you know that God is a tyrant because of this portion of the Bible and you didn't know the rest of the story, just think about how many other issues there are in regard to the Bible. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, you atheists, just think about all those other things that you got wrong because you totally missed the boat on these alien Nephilim guys. That's who God was killing. He's on your side! So, yeah, now this is just one example. Now, there are other people who get into this whole conspiracy theory, one world government thing, and they talk about Illuminati and a secret race of alien hybrids that trace their lineage all the way back to these fallen angels mentioned in the Book of Enoch. And there's some really nutty, fascinating stuff out there. And you may be wondering, but what exactly does this have to do with the Noah story or being an intentional literalist? Well, you see how this guy changed the elements of the story to justify his worldview, right? You know, Joseph Smith has pretty much done the same thing, because these references to the sons of God that anciently meant fallen angels the ones who fathered the mythological race of giants, well, Joseph Smith reinterpreted those sons of God as mortal men. Special mortal men. Priesthood holders, to be exact. The ones of the right lineage in the right covenant with the right bloodline. Because that's what makes the story easier to believe, and it makes it easier to support the claim that Mormonism was restoring this special priesthood line in the first place. Now, this isn't to say that we don't still have these supernatural, nutty, fascinating sci-fi elements in Mormonism that some people have just taken and run with. And that really brings us right back to the Meridian article. Okay, so we're back with uh, little Ronnie Millet. Yeah, okay, whatever. And um, if you look down at the bottom of this article on Enoch, there's pictures. He's got a picture on this webpage of the... Uh, golden plates and the Leahona, the breastplate, uh, the Urim and Thummim, the Sword of Laban, they're all depicted on a picture here. I mean, if that doesn't bolster your faith about what he's saying, I, I don't know what would, because that's a photograph, y'all. Um, you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, <laughs> and there's a picture of uh, Captain Kirk and Spock from the 1960s version of Star Trek. And you can just see them from behind, and they're looking up at a city that's floating on a cloud. And uh, here's here's what uh, Robert Millet... Okay, whatever. Here's what this guy said. Uh, the imaginary city of Stratos was depicted in this Star Trek episode. The energy that would be required to keep a small city in a suspended state like this would be off the scale in energy requirements. Just consider the energy needed to orbit the payload of a space shuttle, and then think of the logistics of translating the city of Enoch. A big, big miracle. And then he has a, a painting of a space station with a bunch of spaceships around it, and the Earth in the background, out in space. He says, we do not know the mechanisms the Lord used in the translation of the city of Enoch. Could something like this depiction of futuristic space station and spaceships have been part of the process? Oh, boy. Yeah, so that's what we're dealing with here. It's, it, it's really, really fascinating to me. I actually kind of love this stuff. 
So how's that for background? Because this Noah's Ark Meridian magazine article is what initially made me think, hey, you know, I remember Mike talking about Ham and Egyptus and Noah's Ark as part of that race in the priesthood discussion. I wonder if we should explore the whole Noah story in more detail with him. And then, boom, a week later, LDS.org gives us the gift of a new essay on Noah. So we put together a panel discussion that includes myself and Mike. Uh, We have Randy, Scott, Jake, and Jake's wife, Erica. Mike could back me up on this. You cannot be um, uh, someone who has a testimony in the restoration of the gospel unless you believe in a literal flood. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I'm going to bring up lots of points on how that's true. We're kind of starting from the middle. I say, yeah. well, let's go, let's, okay. let's start with the, with the, the statement, the topic that the church put out and then go off from there. Or, or the outline that, yeah. Hold on. Did I forward you that outline? You didn't forward me the outline. Oh, sorry. Let me forward you. That oh, I'm come on. Kidding. I just got just you on kidding. this thing. Just... We never, we never have women on here. So you should feel lucky. I know. I, I didn't get an Not outline. A unicorn. Oh, no, yeah, we, Mike, we, I needed to keep you in the dark. <laughs> so we can ambush you. Yeah, it was step yeah. one, step one, blindside Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are like we starting we, with Enoch? Well, yeah, we, no, I want to end start, with Enoch, actually. We actually actually. start every episode with Enoch, so it's going to work out just fine. Okay. I, I, left, I left an unmanned mic for Elijah in case he comes. Nice. Okay, so, so the, my first question is, uh, who was Noah? So, so Mike, I'm going to direct that to you. And if you want to go all the way back to Enoch to explain who Noah is, by all means, go ahead. But, so as we're talking about Noah, and we've been talking about, you know, is, is he a historical figure or is he a, a character? of legend or mythology or whatever just who is he who's noah well noah was the one that was uh set to preserve all life now uh, if you we all remember the famous mormon scripture in enoch where satan has the earth in chains and is laughing and and enoch is looking and seeing where's God that scripture weep. Uh, we, all, we all know <laughs> yeah right is it moses Moses seven okay. forty four through forty five. Right. wait yeah. a second did you say did you say noah was preserving life yeah, because uh, God's an asshole and he kills life. Randy. Well, okay, I got the reference on it's Moses seven twenty six twenty seven. I knew I okay. had something wrong there. So, so Moses, who lived uh, uh, like two thousand years after Noah. Well, yeah, in the Pearly Great Price, Moses's book is looking back through the patriarchs, and you get all the dispensations up to up to his time. Yes. We're playing. Get, we're playing a drinking game tonight. That's part of the outline. Every time you say dispensations, oh, I got to take a shot. We all have to take a shot. <laughs> it's Moses's account of Noah's account of Enoch's account of Adam, and that's mm. that's what you get in the book. In Sounds the like a game price. of telephone to me. I, but you got to start with Joseph Smith on that one. But d- Joseph Smith's account of Moses's account of Enoch's account of Adam. There you go. Okay. Okay. But uh, Enoch sees the earth wrapped in a chain of wickedness with Satan laughing. And God is weeping, and Enoch asks him, how can you weep over this small creation? You know, because Enoch's had the grand vision of everything that God does, and God expresses his love for all his children, but he can't allow this wickedness to continue. And this goes back to the parable of the vineyard, where when you have a a vine growing bad fruit, uh, you've got to do away with it and start over again. So, so, uh, So, I mean, since you were starting with Enoch, I mean, uh-huh. what what was what was God's solution for Enoch? 
and Enoch's God, people. God shows Enoch Noah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, comfort. But I mean, even Enoch lived in a time of rampant wickedness. Right. He just he saved a city. Pretty much is all he was able to save. And how did that happen? What what's what city? <laughs> what are you talking about, Mike? Uh, the Lev- city of Enoch, which Levitation. is uh, the righteous gathered together into a single place, and it was such a righteous place that angels were in the streets teaching people and all this and then the city of enoch was taken from the earth except for uh i believe it was methuselah was left behind because he would be the father of noah it would be methuselah lamech noah so mike uh what's your theory on why people back before the flood could live to like 900 years old i've heard different things like the atmosphere of the earth was different prior to the flood and people just live longer and then post flood god shortened people's lives to 80 years or so but uh just put a hard cap on there huh <laughs> just put a hard cap so i but, there about but i i, yeah. I want to make sure i understand this with with enoch there was an entire city of righteous people that were, were like an island of righteousness in a sea of wickedness, right? And and right. within that sea of wickedness, there were giants in the land. Uh, I've heard it said that the the term giants is a uh, a mistranslation. Oh. That it's very close to mm. a Hebrew word for the fallen, mm. and so it would be the fallen were the ones that were hunting Noah and Enoch. So you don't Not think so it was really giants? giants. No, giants would be crazy. Well, are you yeah, kidding me? Well, but I mean, like, silly. No, he, yeah, that'd be silly. But Come David, on. David fought Goliath, and Goliath was a giant. Well, Goliath, if you actually look at the measurements, was about as big as the wrestler Kevin Nash. You know, he's you know six eleven. Kevin Nash. Uh, Kevin Nash. But but he was he was called a giant, right? And if you look right. in the you look in the the Old Testament, there's references well, to giants all over the place. Andre was also called a giant. <laughs> You know, okay, cool. anyway. So I, I have a que- I, I have one other question, a serious question about uh, the city of Enoch because. Yeah. Um, so in the section in the uh, in the note about Noah and LDS LDS under the section, if God is loving, why did He destroy His children by a flood? Uh-huh. He said uh, in the second sentence, it says, "God gave us our agency to learn how to choose between good and evil. Because the people in Noah's day were doing only evil continually, the children had no chance to learn good from evil, but." I mean, conversely, wouldn't you say, like, in the city of Enoch, if only good was done continually, isn't that a no-win for, like, all the children going there, too? Like, isn't, isn't, doesn't the contrast create that agency or create that accountability? Are you saying that there must needs be opposition in all things, Jake? That's what I'm saying. There must needs be opposition <laughs> in all things. So I don't understand how it's okay if, if the city's all good. Like, if the city's all good, then that's great. But if the city's all bad, then you got to hit the reset button. Well, well, maybe that's why it had to be taken up. Oh, good thing. Can you, can you imagine doing evil continually? How, that sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> can I give what you is, a quote from uh, What does that John look Taylor? like, Mike? What is, <laughs> Mike, what does evil continually look like? Uh, you know, because we're social creatures. We can't exist unless, you know, we have some kind of moral code uh, or the society will collapse on itself. But uh, God didn't let the society collapse on itself. He just killed them all. Uh, what is what is doing evil continually look like? I just want a picture. I, I just want you to paint me a picture. Uh, I'm thinking like the, the the image that comes to mind is something like human centipede. But oh jeez, <laughs> oh, man, oh. that's awesome. Thanks for the image. Human centipede. No human centipede. You don't. You, oh, oh, you haven't gosh. seen that South Park yet. Oh no no. no. I'll just move on. Um, See, this is what happens when we have women on here. Well, <laughs> Mike, I was I was actually I was interested in this, and so I I looked in Genesis. 
Um, I actually read all of Genesis 6 through 11 chapters, 6 through 11, because uh, I was trying to figure out what, what were they were doing that was so bad. And really, there's just one verse, which is Genesis 6, 5, and it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's when he decided to just kill everyone. So I guess kind of I think what Randy's getting at, and I want to I ask you too, how could it be that this was global? I mean, I can understand if one area in particular had a, had problems or something, but how could it be that people on the other side of the earth, people in other continents, just happened to everyone as evil all at the same time? Continually. Continually. And children and women and, and you know, your grandma and, like, like everyone is just continually <laughs> everything's horrible. Evil grandma. I know that uh, it said that Noah's granddaughters began selling themselves uh, with the sons of men uh, that they might have practiced prostitution. What? 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 Where is that? Uh, I was just looking at it. It's, it's not apocryphal. <laughs> it's in one of the church's uh, commentaries. Oh, okay. um, apocryphal. <laughs> Are you talking about the daughters of... Uh, the daughters of Adam mixing with... Or what, what was it? No, the sons of God mixing with the daughters of Adam? Is that yeah, the reference you're talking about? Uh, it, uh, yeah, that's exactly what, what it is. Though. It's always the women. The women are the ones that pollute society. <laughs> so wait, you're saying, so you're saying Noah didn't even bring his own granddaughters into the ark. Right, he had to leave them. Wait, but... Wait, I, I, the, how, do, how do the daughters of Adam turn into the granddaughters of Noah? How does that happen? Uh, are you talking about the sons of God sold themselves to the daughters of it's men? It's not that... sold themselves. It's, it's the, the there's there's this legend, okay? That like we're talking about the folklore around Noah and around the times is that there were these, these race of angels called watchers that were looking over the earth, and you find this in the apocryphal book of Enoch, right? right. You, you've read this, right, Mike? Yes. So so when I hear you say that this was. Noah's granddaughters that sold themselves into prostitution, and that was one of the reasons that there was evil continually in the land, and God had to kill everybody. Uh, yeah, just... That's Moses. Moses eight fifteen is where they sold themselves, but that's also where you but get the not, sons of men. But, d- d- so but that, does that it makes say, more sense. Does it say it does? It says Noah's granddaughters. <laughs> The daughters of thy sons have sold themselves. For behold, mine anger is kindled against the sons of men, for they will not hearken to my voice. But that makes more sense. The, the, the sons of God would be the priesthood holders. And if you look at the giants' terminology as mistranslation of the fallen ones, right. the sons of God married outside the covenant, and they no longer believed. And so their offspring were the fallen. They've fallen away from the truth, and now you have wickedness continually. If we're talking about what makes sense, yeah, thank you. then what makes sense is that this is, tar- I mean, there are flood narratives throughout a lot of history, and this is, this is talking about, I'm sure, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure, but it's likely that this is talking about a real event, that there was a flood, there was a disaster, and, you know, Dad Noah is talking about his spiritual experiences and how he saw the vision before of this devastation and they were fine. But, like, there's there's no way that what makes sense that this was an over-the-entire-world flood. Like, there's, there's no way that that makes sense. The only two ways that this could make sense is that this is a story 
to teach a, a, a lesson to a church or a people, or that it happened in a small area, just like it's happening in happens in the Philippines, it happens all over the place that floods happen. Like that's the only way that this can seem even close to logical. Yeah, but the, the localized flood theory is just ridiculous because all God would have How told is that ridiculous? Because God would have just told Noah to move over to the next valley or go to higher ground. He wouldn't have him build a 450-foot ark. That's that's nonsense. <laughs> Wait, but, okay. Uh, I think we're going to get to this later. I don't want to jump. the ark now? <laughs> Mike's got a point. Well, let, let me read this about the, the pre-flood conditions. This is from John Taylor from the Journal of Discourses. He says, this antediluvian people were not only very wicked themselves, but having the power to propagate their species, they transmitted their unrighteous natures and desires to their children and brought them up to indulge in their own wicked practices. And the spirits that dwelt in the eternal worlds knew this, and they knew very well that to be born of such parentage would entail upon themselves an infinite amount of trouble, misery, and sin. Uh, Is it right that a just God should sweep off so many people? Is that in accordance with mercy? Yes, it was, just to those spirits that had not received their bodies, and it was just and merciful, too, to those people guilty of the iniquity. Why? Because by taking away their earthly existence, he prevented them from entailing their sins upon their posterity and degenerating them, and also prevented them from committing further acts of wickedness themselves. So that's that's the the justice of the flood and the conditions of the flood. So Mike, you live in you live in Las Vegas. Yes. Right? Okay. So uh, I mean, wouldn't you say that what's going on in Las Vegas on a day-to-day basis is is pretty uh Don't give him any ideas, Scott. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not encouraging you to do anything. I'm saying I'm saying in the eyes of God, how is how is what's going on in, you know, a hundred thousand hotel rooms in Las Vegas every night any different than um, what you know what's being accused of here the prostitution for example what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas it doesn't go widespread throughout oh, the nation oh, and bring really? down the oh my god <laughs> I'm, a divor- I'm a divorce lawyer I can tell you it doesn't stay there <laughs> no so Mike I actually have a question um, there, there's a point in the scriptures in Genesis where God kind of has second thoughts about what he did. Um, uh, can you address that? Like he, like God repented, I think it's, is how it's worded. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, Noah is his, is his representative on the earth. And what he almost does is kind of helps Noah understand what's about to happen. And it's Noah actually who, who is repentant that God made man. It was a mistranslation, and Joseph Smith fixed it. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. And when, when Noah finally approaches the Lord and says, it makes me sad that this is your creation, that's when God says, okay, now we're on the same page together. Let's do this. Let's bring in the flood. Mormon that, spin that doctoring. That's, a, that's, that's quite the spin. Well, everything we're talking about is spin doctoring. But, but so we, we talked about the city of Enoch um, briefly being lifted up. And that was the way, I mean, that was the city of Zion, right? So whenever we talk about Zion today and forming Zion, it's a reference to this city of Enoch that was so righteous. The people were of one heart and one might and righteousness. God took them up to himself. And they'll return someday at the end of the world. That's, that's part of the, the belief in Zion. But if God had the mechanism to be able to take Enoch and all of his city to save them from the wickedness that was around them, why not do the same thing with Noah and his family and the animals that needed to come up too? 
Because Enoch, Enoch and his people were actually translated and, and filled with glory. And, you know, they became a different type of being. So they couldn't come back after the flood and procreate and continue the line of humanity and mortality. Correct. Nice. Nice. Okay. That's why Methuselah was excited. It says Methuselah had a lot of pride because he knew that Noah would come from his posterity. And Noah would be the one that preserved life through the flood. Okay, Mike. So let me ask you about that then. You're talking about, and this is in the the LDS.org topic where it very clearly states that there were only the eight people, the eight human beings who came into Noah's Ark, right? Yeah, it'd be the sons, their wives, Noah and his wife. Right, so four guys, four girls, they're in the boat, right? There was there was an Asian, a black person, <laughs> a Polynesian, uh, so, an Indian. So, so Mike, we, we know that the, the pyramids of Egypt... Like the the pyramid of Giza was built before the flood. I didn't delve into it. Did you? Did they nail down the time of the flood? Yes. Uh, yes. So it was about twenty three forty four. Yeah, about twenty three hundred BC E. So I, the, I was thinking that was like four thousand. It was about four thousand years. It was about ago. four thousand years ago. Forty four hundred years from ago. So the pyramid was built a couple hundred years before that, but but forgetting the pyramid, even the great, you know, the pyramid of Giza, there, every other culture, you know, a Korea. I went to Korea on my mission, right? The Koreans have a history going back like eight thousand years, written history, documented, uninterrupted by a right. global Chinese uh, traumatic event, right? Chinese, uh, Australian Aborigines. I mean, there's uh, Polynesians. There's there's probably twenty other cultures. What, what is the date to Iridu? Do you remember the date for Iridu? The hell are you talking about? Uh, I, know, so, southern What's Iraq. Iridu is supposed to be the the oldest city that we know of, and that's the one that seems to be tied to where Noah would have landed and and settled his people. Was in Iridu, Iraq. Well, what I'm trying to get at, Mike, is is what's the explanation? For these cultures that clearly existed before the flood, and then would have would have been wiped out by the flood because that was the whole point was to to murder them all, and then and then how did they just come back into being? Like, how is it that that Chinese people exist and that Australian Aborigines exist? And I really don't know. So I uh, I I would put Noah back with the city of Iridu, which is the oldest one we know of. I I. Uh, I mean, in uh, I mean, this is Wikipedia, but Iridu said it's approximately founded in 54th century BC and abandoned in 6th century BC. This is way before. Yeah, so that, that's more. Way before Noah. Well, that's the one I always liked because it, you can see civilization spreading out from it, and the, the writings on it seem to tie in with Noah and. And Enoch and uh, so are you suggesting? Are you suggesting, Mike, that maybe we're taking a too literal interpretation of the timing of Noah's flood? That may, maybe it was actually earlier than Eridu, or around the same time as Eridu. Well, yeah, I like Eridu as well because there's a there's a, a writing in Eridu talking about how a man with his name like Noah receiving instruction through the veil. And that, that's where you get the old, uh, early account of uh, the flood. Uh, but, Mike, you don't, I mean, you don't think that Adam existed much prior to, like, 4,000 B.C., though, right? I mean, that you're putting, 
you're putting Adam, the very first human, right. at, at like 4,000 B.C. and not much earlier than that. So, but, that's but where that's, you get trouble with the genealogies because it's like that he begat him, begat him, and you know that you have the priesthood lines of authority. But I don't know how the time. It's sixteen sixteen hundred years from Adam to Noah. Okay. Yeah, that's like well, four generations. Yeah. Uh, based, yeah. based on their yeah. lifespan. Yeah. You're right. Right. Mike, what are your thoughts on the hominids? You know, because Neanderthals, according to science, I guess. I guess your only recourse is just to reject science Are you going altogether. to pre-Adamites, Randy? <laughs> yeah, so I'm talking about Neanderthals. Neanderthals went extinct about twenty to 30,000 years ago. Um, you know, uh, you know, we have fossils of uh, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, way before the flood. So how do you, what's your explanation for the hominids? What, were, what was that? What was all that? Did they, did they come from other worlds when the earth was created 6,000 years no, ago? No, that's... Oh, I hate. I always oh, that's, hated that's that. Silly. That's so silly. <laughs> well, okay. Dinosaur bones are the animals from other planets, and that's yes, why they're always, all that that's garbage. What I always thought. Well, yeah, how else can you explain? It? Okay, so explain to me hominids, dinosaurs, and all that. Well, that's okay. where you got to get into. Do you do you follow that all life uh, outside the garden couldn't die until after the fall, or? Could life outside the garden have died and been doing its wait, processes? Wait, wait, wait. So you you wait, see wait, that wait, the wait, garden wait. was an isolated place within the earth? That it wasn't the In earth Missouri. itself? Wait, okay. Uh, well, well the, you remember Adam was locked out of the garden. An angel stood at the garden and, and Adam did all kinds. Of, Adam used to take trips back and forth to the garden. And the, the angel there would bar him and the angel would <laughs> get food for him. What? Uh, Where's that? Wait, what? These are the most unsubstantiated things I've ever heard in my life. Where are these from? Yeah. It's it's apocryphal. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, I a really good well travel agent. That's where you get the great. Okay. That's where you get the great story where Adam goes back to the garden, and the angel's standing guard, and he says, "It used to be Adam that I could not stand in your presence. Now it's you who cannot bear my presence." And so that's where you get the idea of a fallen body. From from a terrestrial street. But you know, Mike, what are you that, talking about? The, the whole story that I said earlier about those watchers—that's apocryphal too. Well, I mean, why don't you why why don't you accept that in the same regard that you're accepting the angel that got dinner for Adam when he was going back and forth from the garden? I dinner. I, I'm just going off of I don't I don't think there were giants going around the earth eating people. That doesn't make any sense unless there are okay. cannibals. I'd, I'd buy Mike, cannibals. Wait, 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 okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I want, I want, I want to just kind of set some. What exactly, Mike? I want to kind of establish your mentality because I'm, I think I'm conflating a lot of different uh, beliefs together. Um, what, like, I, I guess I, w- I want to delve into a little bit into like your relationship with empiricism. Like, is that are we are we accepting like a six thousand year old Earth and? You know, every, all all of humanity started from two individuals, or where exactly are we on those on those types of beliefs? I just kind of want to understand your mentality. I believe Adam was the first man, but I, I also believe that there was an old Earth that things took time to develop as God created the Earth. Okay, and so at, at some point, Adam enters the picture. And all things become tied to him and fall with him. So then, Mike, when when you look at, like, the creation narrative of being six days of creation, you're not thinking literal 24-hour periods, but these are more, like, epochs of time. Epochs of time and that they sometimes overlapped and it wasn't like bam, bam, bam. But okay. I think God saying, works with science. But, you're but you, saying, also think, you also think, though, that, like, the Earth's temporal existence is is 6000 years 
Well, I think from I'd go six thousand years from the time Adam left the garden. Right. So there hasn't been death on the earth for more than six thousand years. Well, but I think what he was saying earlier was that the garden was a little island <clears throat> where where there was no death. Um, so there was but death the rest, outside of yeah, yeah outside of the yeah, garden. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the garden was just like a regular mortal world, but inside the garden uh, was uh, immortal. See, which which totally goes against the way that I always heard it, that the earth was in a paradisical state, and then because of eating the fruit, it fell into its current telestial, or, or, or what, where is it now? Telestial. We're telestial. Yeah, it was terrestrial, and that, that, that's the paradisical, but then it fell to uh, telestial. I think that's in the temple. Ages ago, and I, I, don't have, I lost all my notes on this, and I'm three, that was three computers ago, but I looked at Iridu, and Eridu shows three families emerging from it to spread out in the earth. And it looks like Eridu is the oldest city that we know of on the earth. Right, but that's and, way before even when you're putting Adam. Well, if you look at Eridu, the artwork they had uh-huh. and, the, and the, the writings they had, it, it looks a lot like that's where Noah settled yeah, after the flood. Yeah, because like Noah signed the, <laughs> the, the <lease>. art. Yeah. <laughs> We got an old Noah. niece with Noah's name uh, on it. Yeah. They have they have artwork there where it shows Noah looking up to heaven, and there's the, right. the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the artwork, right. and it shows it talks about Enoch coming down and helping Noah. Mike, okay. let me ask you, Mike, does it bother you that God would kill all these people? Like, let me just paint the picture because the movie's coming out in the next week or two, right? And and so I'm imagining, you know, I read I read these chapters and it's talking about, you know, Noah's covering the boat with pitch on the inside and the outside, and then they're all just in there, and then these floods come, and so there's just there's just people, you just you know, whole towns and cities just getting drowned. Like, does yeah, that there's... does that bug you at all? No, I was trying to find my references, but it talks about how when the flood actually came, Noah was at a dinner party, and that's when you received the revelation. <laughs> so did he leave the people at the party? Like oh, he man. did. He left you're, the people at the dying. party. Got his family. Screw you guys, dude. He's but. a horrible host, man. He's hosting a dinner party, and he just fails. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. That, that, that's what the story was. And it talks about how now we, the floods, it, was, it wasn't it was one big flood. It was multiple floods because water was coming from the earth as it was raining. And they talk about how the people were trying to get away from the hot water because they were literally being cooked in the hot water. And they'd cut up onto rocks. And the rocks would heat and they'd cook on the rocks. But that's, and, that's awful. I mean, doesn't that... More horrific. Yeah. So, does that not they deserved bo- it bother you that God could, or that God would do that? I think He's already answered this, though, Scott, because He said that that God, w- this was a just move on God's part because these people were shit, and because these people were such awful, vile sinners, the spirits in heaven had no righteous place to plant their feet in mortality. God had no choice but to. Boil them on the rocks. Are you trying I to tie when, this back into Saturday's Warrior? No, I just I think that's what Mike's already said. I love when Glenn like takes Who what I'm going to say and makes it all eloquent and sound nice. Coming <laughs> down, coming down. <laughs> Who are these children of the world? Like to to me, I see you know I see these children's toys that are like Noah's Ark. You know, little the little people. Yeah, Noah's Ark. Right. 
little plastic things. It just makes me kind of sick. <laughs> well, okay. I, I, you know, at some point I kind of want to ask Mike, like, oh, how did they fit all the animals on the boat? And like, what about, you know, what about the variations of life on Earth? I got my notes explain, on that. And how do you explain all the... How do you explain all the marsupials in in Australia? But I think at the end of the day, and I don't, you know, we can we can still go down this path if you want to, Mike. But I think at the end of the day, at some point, it's just going to be the answer is just going to be magic, right? I mean, just something something That's... magical happened, and that at the end of the day, like we're not actually engaging this like an empirical question on empirical grounds because at the end of the, like there's nothing at stake here because you can just say, oh, God did it, magic, and then nothing's at stake. Like we don't, it doesn't matter. Well, but God's not a magician. God, God, God doesn't go yapple dapple and wave his ponytail and three cakes appear or something. In God doesn't work that way. Ponytail. In order for this Noah like story to actually happen, yes, it would have to be magic. Like how? Okay, how? Like, and, and it completely contradicts itself because at some point there's some in, there's some insane level of intervention from God, um, which begs the question: Why didn't he just freaking intervene in the first place and just lift everybody up? Why they have to build a freaking boat in the first place? Like th- this this whole this whole conversation is asinine to the core, and there's nothing like relevant about it like the priesthood one the race thing like racism is a thing in our society now there's nothing relevant about this topic it's just a crazy fairy tale well i think the re- i think the, the relevance is the is the belief the literal belief and it also yep. makes reference if, if it if he was baptizing the earth because everything all things had to be baptized if all the, things have to be baptized, so i should be baptizing my pet toad like that doesn't make any sense why do you have a pet toad I'm just I'm just putting an example out there. <laughs> it's a, it's one of those psychedelic toads. We lick it. And <laughs> now I know. Yeah. Hey, no. My- so I have to baptize like the deer that are frolicking around our apartment. Yeah. I- <laughs> but you have to have I- the proper authority, and you're a woman, so you right, have- right. It's a moot okay. point. Moot point. I think animals count as uh, as little children. I don't yeah, think there's but, evil okay. animals. So, Mike. Okay, let, let, let's uh, let's. So just, God just killed let, those just for the sport of it. <laughs> Mike, let's just give it to you that uh, the, the Earth, some for some reason, this inanimate uh, ball of rock uh, needed to be baptized, according to God's eternal plan, which is a plan that uh, all gods follow. Uh, why didn't He baptize the Earth when it was unorganized matter? Just get it over with early, instead of doing this elaborate uh, killing all. Animals, plants, babies, fetuses, uh, humans, everything. Uh, when I, he I don't has know. so much power that he could easily just do a plague and just, you know, selectively well, kill. He'd, he'd actually, kill. he'd done a plague. He'd or done with a plague Elijah, he... fire from heaven. Why did he just do fire from heaven and just, just instead of well, creating this implausible. A human-specific virus or something, yeah. Pri- prior to the flood, he'd sent a famine, and uh, there was people dead left and right from the famine but they still didn't turn return to god through the famine so mike, mike let they me ask wicked this. through it mike if i can jump in you uh-huh. you're saying that god's not a magician what do you right. mean by that god uses science and laws to accomplish things he doesn't just make things appear he's not a genie okay so so with well, the, the when the flood waters receded right and there's dead material Everywhere and this huge, you know, amount of water, miles and miles and miles above where all of us would be right now, is covered in water. 
why is there no evidence of that? I mean, obviously, God must have made it look like that didn't happen, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know what kind of what what kind of evidence would you look for post flood. Can we just concede that Mike's not going to have answers to any of these questions because there aren't any satisfactory? Like, I I really want to get back to what Jake said about what's at stake. Because, you know, Jake, you said that nothing is at stake. But I think that there's some very important things at stake, and that's why it's on LDS.org in the first place. Well, the the Savior testifies of a flood, and it was that Paul testified of a flood, and uh, three times in the Book of Mormon they testify of the flood. And Joseph Smith went crazy about it. Well, and we got and we got to talk about the Garden of Eden is in Missouri, so like the only way for uh, you know the posterity of men to end up in Mesopotamia, in in the Middle East that we now call, is if there was a global flood and Noah went up in Missouri and landed in the Middle East. Right. 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 But yeah, he took the trade winds over. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what's at stake? What's at stake in this story? Like, Mike, why do you believe this story uh, against all of this overwhelming? Like, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the rest of us don't really. I think, you know, don't really believe in the story the way that it's presented on LDS.org. But you do. Why? Uh, just because the prophets testify of it. It's, a, it's an account, you know, all the prophets mention and talk about. And... So if it wasn't true, would that mean that the prophets are wrong? Correct. That's what I think is at stake. Well, that's it. Why? Why are they doing them to themselves? Like, I feel like this is like Mormonisms are just jabbing pencils in their eye all the time. Because, like, why do you have to? Why do you have to pit yourself against your own intellect all the time? Like, th- there's no reason that this has to be a true state. Yes, it this does. Has to be a true well, state because Gabriel because... appeared to Joseph Smith and made Joseph Smith. <laughs> Gabriel was one of the guys. Like, if you talk about dispensation leaders and the way that Joseph Smith organized the world and into Adam was a dispensation head and Enoch was a dispensation head and Noah and Abraham and Moses and, Moses and Jesus and then Joseph Smith himself at the end of the chain. You know, this is this is the whole Joseph Smith. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story and, and making the Old Testament stories real for the people that of that day. And Noah was Gabriel and he appeared to Mary and he also appeared to me. You know, like he he made it that this had to be true. Why why does why does the existence of Noah tie like why does it have to be so tied to a global flood? Yeah, you can still well, have a Noah, a prophetic Noah, and not have. I, I can flood. tell you why. No, I okay. can tell you why. All right, this hit is, me. Th- there's another. There's a couple more hooks into Mormonism that Noah has, and <laughs> one of the biggest ones, Jaredites. Jaredites, exactly. So, in order to have the Jaredites, in order to have the Book of Mormon, you have to have the Jaredites. In order to have the Jaredites, you have to have the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel only makes sense after a global flood where there's one language on the earth. Well, but that could still be a, that could still be a regionalized thing, Scott. I mean, I could I could see that, but but even the, this essay LDS.org, it says that I mean, it's it's not giving you, Jake, or Erica, any room to even say that the earth wasn't oh, covered know. by water. Oh, it yeah. says it no, here. No, no, no I know that. Room. 
No, no, I, I agree. I just don't understand why. I mean, the, the thing is, it seems like this essay, with the release of this essay, they could have made a major pivot away from that. Because, I mean, they did the same thing with, like, the DNA and Mormonism one, or DNA in the Book of Mormon. They pivoted away from the very literalistic, these are the, you know, the Lamanites or the ancestors of the Native Americans to among, you know, among them and, like, going That's down that That's why you can path. toss that essay in the trash. Um, well, I would love to have another, I would, have, I would love to have a podcast on that one. But, um... <laughs> Uh, but I mean, they, this seems like a key moment when they could pivot away from this very fundamentalist, um, self-harming doctrines well, or these self-harming Noah's, ideas, but they didn't. Noah's deeply tied into Enoch. He's deeply tied into, I mean, you know, there's the story about Enoch ha- built the cave where Enoch was the great record keeper. He stored everything in the cave and made Mike, the cave you, waterproof. You, you've got to, you've got to get out of this habit of starting these apocryphal yeah, references stories. with, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. exactly. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, this is common we, knowledge that we've never heard about Noah's dinner party. Okay. Right. That was awesome. <laughs> just, and everybody, just, all of you guys have heard of the Masonic stuff with Enoch. Oh, we in all the Masonic the scriptures. We went through the temple, so we know all the Masonic stuff. But, but Jake, to get to get back to your point, Jake. Yeah, I yeah, think, I would love to hear it. I, so I, I think you're you're asking the question, like practically speaking, like why would the church do this? Right. I I think the plain answer is because they believe it. Like they, I, this isn't one where the church is under pressure to change on. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't like homosexuality or race issues where they're like, Oh geez, we've got to really, you know, we got to get that essay out. Cause people are just slamming us on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have been screaming about the Noah thing forever, but why would they release this? I think I, I, I my guess is that the church leaders all genuinely believe this like hook, line and sinker. I mean, Hinckley talked about this in a talk, like in the late nineties yeah. about how it was, there was only eight people. I mean, I think they, I, th- I think there's just no doubt to them that this re- really happened. They're that far detached from the kind of mindset that you're talking about in terms of empiricism, in terms of world history, that it just doesn't even uh, like enter into the Not mind frame that, they paint, of it. They, paint, they painted themselves in a corner, like the history, the whole right. history of the church is painting themselves into a corner where they would have to deny sacred canonized scripture. Yeah, I think it's that you know pulling pulling on one string and everything starts to unravel. I think I think this is one of those things where the Noah string has to stay intact, you know. Right. And, and Erica, you shared so. that Sunstone article earlier, uh, and and one of the points that the guy makes, the author of that article, is that the author is Dwayne Jeffrey. Just so if anyone listener cares, <laughs> Dwayne, I actually had a class with him. He 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 was awesome. Yeah, for it seems like he was awesome. I mean, he was teaching. He was at BYU and acknowledged. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Science. <laughs> Science. No. Uh, oh, evolution. The the e word. Oh yeah. He, yeah. He taught evolution. He was a biological scientist. He, yeah. Well, the class I had with Dwayne Jeffrey was bioethics, and that that's a very interesting class to take at BYU. Yeah, so Dwayne Jeffrey is the guy who wrote this Sunstone article, and the point that he makes is that there's some things in the scriptures that we're able to not take literally. And he, he lists several things. He's like, we accept this, we reject this, we accept this, we reject this, and he's proposing that we do that same kind of dance with the Noah story. You know, mm-hmm. some, some things we can accept, some things we can reject, but the only person that, I, I could be wrong with this, but I think 
think the only person who's ever really been able to do that is Joseph Smith. And so Joseph Smith can go through with the Joseph Smith translation and say, these are the parts of the Bible that we accept. These are the parts that we reject. These are the parts, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody's really done that since him. And he, he didn't, he didn't do, he didn't, he didn't do that for Noah. He made it literal. Like the, the story in the Bible is what actually happened. And so I just, that's why I don't think you, that's why I think that the global flood has to be tied to the Noah story because that's the way that Joseph Smith taught it. And it's not just Joseph Smith. How many cultures in the world have the, have the global flood story that's part of their heritage? That I think uh, it's because most cultures started around water back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. They were I all mean, based around water. There's a very easy explanation for that, is that the world to these civilizations was not the world that we think of now. Like, they didn't travel thousands of miles by planes to understand how the world worked. Their world was an island. Their world was right next to water. Floods happened all the time. It's a very... Yeah, but they include other details as well. I mean, are these details like, oh, they were wearing garments or something? Well, no, there was a man that that communicated with God. There was an ark. I mean, that's tied into all these different stories. Oh, okay. So there's a flood and there's some method of salvation that revolved around a person. So they're all the same. Okay, let's go. There are plenty of religious believing people that don't see them as literal. Like, it's not just people who want to take down a church. Yeah, because the metaphorical religion does so much for you. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think a lot of uh, old school Hindus would, uh, you know, to have a, uh, take issue with what you just said. Uh, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of teach. Yes, there's a lot of meaning in fiction. If it's not literal, it, it's worthless. It's why have well, faith? Really, in it's not literal. So everything Shakespeare wrote or Jesus is worthless. <laughs> It, did, it, it, did, did the Good Samaritan actually exist, Mike? No, it was just no. a story. No, 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 no value, no value, no value, no value. No value in it. <laughs> but if it's something like religion, though, it has fiction. to be literal. I, I take it you're not a fan of fiction. You're not a big Lord of the Rings fan. I have plenty of appreciation for fiction. I'm just saying that it, uh, when it comes to a religion, why would you offer sacrifice and adhere to something that that is? That has no meaning. And that's what's at stake. That's what's Those at stake. Those are the stakes. Yeah, I guess you're proving, well, for for the way that you see religion, you're proving Glenn's point. Glenn's point. She says that as if it's a bad thing. And one of the main advantages of editing these things is that I can stop the discussion wherever I want to. And I think I'll do it right here because, honestly, does anything more really need to be said? Actually... Yeah, I think there does. Now, I'll try to keep this short. Now, I included that long introduction about the Book of Enoch and the Watchers and the Giants because it actually is part of the Noah story that we have little pieces of in Genesis, but not very many people know about it. Now, my dad brought it to my attention when I was a kid, so it's been part of my Mormon experience for a very long time, and I just really wanted to share that with you because I find it particularly interesting. Hopefully you did too, but if not, eh. Now, as for the panel discussion, honestly, it was a little bit too much of a bash mic like a pinata experience for me. I don't know that really much came out of it, but to me, it does highlight why it's so important for believing members like Mike to take a literal view of Noah and the Flood 
despite the impossibility of the story. Now my grandpa told me a story a few years ago that he once sat across from Spencer W. Kimball and he was being interviewed to become some kind of college level institute teacher. And President Kimball asked him, do you believe in the story of Jonah and the whale? And my grandpa looked at him and he said, yes, I absolutely do. And President Kimball said, that is the right answer and you're going to make an excellent teacher. And there was so much pride in my grandpa's eyes when he told me that story. It was like he had the strength to believe things that most people would think were silly, but not him, because he was stalwart. Now, maybe some people are able to find value in a metaphorical interpretation of these kinds of stories. Now, there's certainly a lot of value to be found. You get no argument from me. But it's not the kind of value that the Mormon Church is selling. The Mormon Church is selling priesthood, saving ordinances, baptism, confirmation, endowment, celestial marriage, sealing power that binds people to each other throughout the eternities. Now that has to be a real power, and that real power rests on the teachings of Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith taught that the flood was a literal global flood, just like it says in the Bible. And that's why LDS.org published this essay with subheadings like, Why Does God Call Prophets? and What Are Covenants? and Why Does God Make Them With Us? See, literal interpretations of stories like Noah are the glue, the crazy glue, that binds all this together. Because once you let go of that belief, you just start sliding. And for me, once I recognized that the Noah narrative in the Bible was actually a smaller piece of a much larger, much older narrative tradition that included much crazier elements like fallen angels and giants, well there was really no choice but to start letting go. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Our iTunes count today is at 88 ratings with uh, 55 written reviews. We love it, so keep them coming. And just a note about these listener essays. Please be patient with us. Now, we received five different essays or essay ideas today on the heels of our recent mini-sode. And I'm not trying to discourage any of you from submitting. I'm just asking that you recognize that it may take us a while to get to all of them. But we love what we're seeing, so please keep them coming. And thanks again for listening. Anyone for the closing prayer? Hey, why are you still here? Do you want to hear the uh, rest of the panel discussion? Because I cut out a big chunk. So you like the beating mic like a pinata stuff? Okay, fine. I'll give you an extra long bonus Easter egg here. And there are some nice moments, but really, if you continue on, you do so at your own risk. So no complaints, okay? This is for the gluttons. <laughs> That's what's Those at are the stakes. stakes. Well, I guess you're proving well for for the way that you see religion. You're proving Glenn's point. And that's yeah, very if it's terrible. not literal, then then you have to disavow the prophets. Okay. And if, well, the authors of the race and the priest article, please keep that in mind. <laughs> what 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 are what are other alternatives? Yeah, what's, what's the status on that on, on the race and the priesthood from your end, Mike? Is any are you getting are you getting? Any I, I play okay. On here's what happened today. I finally after. A month and a half got my meeting with my state president because he's been so busy. 
And we sat down and talked about it. He says, I won't sign off on your letter because he's sticking with the, uh, you know, the books all the bishops get? Handbook, uh, the handbook. The handbook yeah. of instructions. It says in there that don't encourage members to write the general authorities. But he has a loophole in that he can write. So what he's going to do is he's going to take my letter and write another version of it similar along the same lines, and he's going to send him it in himself. You're going to get him in trouble, dude. No, he's going to send it in in, in my name, and, and he's hey, going to write the letter himself. Mike, what happened to the guy who tried to study the Ark? I'm not studying anything. I'm. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. You're studying the Ark, baby. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. But he's, he's actually going to send it in in his name. So it's going to be my state president sending in for me. So anyway, do you want to discuss the Ark itself and how the animals on it? Why? There's no answer to that. How are how are there 16 million different species of animals now? Magic. Okay. How are there? You only you only <laughs> need you like, only needed a representative of the of the main right, species right. according what, to the kinds of the family. So the main you know species. Five, you know what, Mike? I watched this this Cosmos episode that was on last week. <laughs> five hundred thousand different species of beetles. Okay, but you only needed a representative of each kind. Right. So uh, well, the beetles. So in the four thousand insects on the ark. No, well, well, hold on. Yeah, there there would have been insects on the ark because they crawled on the earth. So it says beetles that, would have died in a global yeah. flood. So, uh, Mike, they're, they're, you're talking five hundred thousand different types of beetles. So in four thousand years, you're talking about an average of like a thousand new beetle species per year. So you're talking like three or four beetle species per day. That are, you're talking uh, evolving. You're talking about the land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. It, it equals about thirty thousand animals on the ark. That's that's what you would have needed. Is fifteen thousand species or, or okay. different so kinds? Which one of the thousand animals? The which average of the size eight? of the animals. What's that? Which one of the eight had to take care of all the shit? Probably all of them. A year's worth of shit. <laughs> what did you feed the carnivores? <laughs> if not I, all the herbivores and causing mass extinctions. I, okay. I'm, mana. Mana. There you go. Mana. Magic, beef, man. beef flavored Magic. mana. <laughs> beef mana. <laughs> the, oh average, the average size of the animals on the ark would have had it, would have, they would all have been about the size of a sheep or smaller. That's the average size. What, so you're talking about 30,000 sheep sized animals. The ark itself. <laughs> like was, little miniature uh, elephants? Yeah, so put 30,000 sheep on a boat with eight people for a year and tell me now, how that goes. The ark itself was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It had three decks, a door, and a window. Now you're talking <laughs> a door. Can you imagine how much methane was being produced? They had a window. A window. One window. <laughs> no. for 30 how did people eat? The what equivalent of the ark. I'm going. To, I'm about to tell you that there's a hundred thousand square foot of floor space on the on the ark, or uh, if you talk about cubic volume, it's one million five hundred eighteen thousand cubic volume of, of space on the ark, which is about the equivalent of five hundred twenty-two railroad cars. So, uh, you could fit about two hundred and forty feet forty sheep per railroad car, which is about. Uh, well, there's a lot, there's plenty of room, no, so they, they would have taken about this. a third. The animals itself would have taken about a third of the space in the ark. The remainder, two thirds, were for food and water. 
See, no, th- see, this is this is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, even if we talk about all these logistical concerns or whatever, right? right. right at the end of the day, uh, you know, at the end of this entire conversation, even when we talk about the fact that even if you only had one animal of each type and there was enough room on the ark for those types, there's no way you could do, go through enough permutations of generations to be able to create the genetic diversity we have now. Even if we get to that point, at the end of the day, Mike's answer is going to be. But with I God, nothing God is impossible. <laughs> exactly, yeah. which which means I mean you're just you're you're cafeteria empiricist. Like, and I and <laughs> the, the thing that infuriates me the most is like you're going to benefit from gene therapy someday, but the direct like extrapolation of understanding the way that our DNA interacts disproves these stories, these mythological religious stories. But you're going to benefit from the science that other people have rolled out. But anything that happens to co- that happens to clash with your worldview, you just dismiss. And I. Just I hate that. Hey, Jake, you just described what I hate the most about America. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Anyway, well, I, but, think, I, mean, I, I, I think even bigger problem than the, I mean, even if you do hand waving for all the animals on the ark, at the end of the, the voyage, you're still left with just eight people coming from four women, right? So the genetic evidence would be overwhelming that we had all, everyone on earth had come from Four, a huge four. bottleneck, like there's a bottleneck from four thousand years ago. Yeah, we, human, humans would, would have be been obvious. extinct. I mean, if we got if we get down to to four breeding pairs of an animal, the the they're extinct. I mean, they're they're gone. Yeah, that, like that, they, yeah. they just don't exist Those anymore. Years, we go from eight people to seven billion. Yeah, and one billion of them in China uh, that uh, didn't uh, apparently had nobody four thousand years ago, uh, and now right. has a billion. And uh, and then the kangaroos, the kangaroos hopped the kangaroos. All, the way, all the way, all the way to Australia. The polar no, there's, bears there's a perfect the example for the kangaroos. Noah dropped them off at in Australia and then sailed back. He no, actually, they, they didn't get out of the ship until after the land was dry. There's <laughs> right, there's, right, yeah. there's evidence that the people of Enoch came down and helped Noah. Disperse the animals. Oh my! Evidence. Where oh my evidence? gosh! What? Where there is evidence? evidence. What are you talking about? That, that, that what same... evidence? We just gave you about seven million different reasons of evidence that this didn't work, and you're bringing up "quote unquote" evidence. Apocryphal, structural, came down and diversified yeah, where's the that evidence? animals. Those, That's magic. Writing, that is magic. The writings of Eridu talk about Enoch coming down and assisting Noah after the flood. To to redisperse things. Okay, so Mike's answer for tonight is not magic. It's iridu. <laughs> it's going back to it. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to read something from a different essay that the church put out the the DNA in the Book of Mormon. Um, just just a quick paragraph here. Scientists do not rule out the possibility of additional small-scale migrations to the Americas. For example, a 2010 genetic analysis of a well-preserved 4,000-year-old paleo-Eskimo in Greenland led scientists to hypothesize that a group of people besides those from East Asia had migrated to the Americas. I just want you to think about this as an example in another LDS.org essay, a 4,000-year-old paleo-Eskimo. That would have been like 300 years after Noah climbed off of the ark. And the church cites that in one article, and then and another article says the global flood happened. Right. 
<laughs> it's, it's mind-boggling. Like, like what do the you have to gymnastics. do? Exactly, those <laughs> mental gymnastics. What do you have to do to, to accept all of these things and put yourself in a, in a believing state of mind if you don't know about Eridu? <laughs> how, how That's why you have one committee write one article. You have another committee write the other article. You put them both out, and the church members just ignore all of it. <laughs> they do. I'm really hoping they address some of these at conference. If they don't, I, I just, I'm going to lose my mind if they don't address this crap at conference. I got news for you, Mike. They won't. You've already no. lost yeah, a large portion of it. it. No, I, I was I was making a lose your mind joke. Never oh, mind. It didn't, it didn't, <laughs> I got you. It didn't hit. <laughs> Well, what, what do you mean address some of those? Like come out and be like, there have been things that we've allowed that we have commissioned on our own website that we – that are wrong? Like what what last, last week they had to shut down the comment section on the essay page because everybody was un- unloading on them. They had to shut it down and reboot it. It's just how do you not address something when you, you got bishops in New Zealand leaving their positions over this? But, but if people get mad about ordained women, just, yeah, put them in a free speech zone. <laughs> you know. Yeah, people like commit suicide because of how they're being treated because they're gay. Just write them off. So wait, well, Mike, that, that's Mike, who are no, you Mike would about? Mike would have his kids punch him in the nose, right? You wrote that one. <laughs> yeah, you did. I probably did. Yeah. Um, well, I'm gonna punch you in the nose next time I see you. <laughs> <laughs> It's a large target. <laughs> Wait, what? The, uh, it's the one Go thing ahead. to have women wanting ordained against the teachings of the church, but when the church contradicts itself, that's a whole other matter. So, where's the church contradicting itself? Well, like the DNA thing, like you know, Nephites came over and mingled with people that have been here ten thousand years, or, or disavowing the priesthood, or uh, it's just ludicrous. Uh, the things they've been putting out are just a joke. Did I miss the 10,000-year reference in that DNA? Like, granted, I did not read through that whole thing. It was just a chore. But no, it talks about something. It says 10,000 years. Yeah, it talks about – well, it references – it says most scientists agree that people – that it was populated by people coming over the Bering Strait. And then it cites a paper that really breaks it down for the 10,000 years. I don't think the 10,000-year number was in the article itself, though. It was in no, a footnote because, or something. Uh, the migration actually happened around fifteen thousand years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there, you, there you go. But yeah, yeah. But they say you know this is this is how it happened, and and you know then they there were small scale migrations, and then we and then there's intermingling, and they were subsumed into the larger population, which makes the whole prophecies of like Lamanites blooming as a rose and all that totally nonsensical. But you know whatever, science. <laughs> Well, here's what I love about science is like, okay, you got, you got this thing called convergence. Are you guys familiar with the term convergence? Yeah, I am. Okay. So you got this one field of science completely like unconcerned with another field coming up with the same conclusion. I'll get, and the example is that uh, archaeologists have done enough work on the Clovis and the pre-Clovis sites in North America to to come to uh, the conclusion that it was about 15,000 years ago that uh, people from from the Far East uh, crossed the Bering Strait and, and migrated into the Americas. And then you got geneticists that are doing what's called a DNA clock. And completely unconcerned with what archaeologists are doing, the genetic clock of the specimens that they have uh, 
uh, dates back to about 15,000 years ago. That's what uh, I, I love think, about science. I think you've got a faulty assumption there, Randy, though. I, I mean, uh, you're, you're saying that these are completely unconnected, right? Well, they're, they're two completely separate fields of science. You think so, but Satan's behind both of them. <laughs> uh, okay. But the cool thing about that, the cool thing to me about that is that the, the molecular biologists would love nothing more than to completely blow the archaeologists out of the water. Like, like if it came back that it was actually 30,000 years ago, they, they would like, ah! yeah, they would love that. <laughs> like, but it's like, oh, they were right, you know, and they just have to admit it because, you know, two data points on the exact same spot, like they're stuck. Yep. And that's and that's the thing is like this idea that that if if there were some sort of empirical evidence that came out that that supported Mormonism, that it would just be suppressed because, you know, Satan's against it. But the thing is, like, no one would love they, if they found like actual evidence that there was any connection with, you know, the Middle East or Israel or whatever or Jews in the name of America is like. Any archaeologist that's like an archaeologist's wet, their wet dream. Like they would love to have that. They would love to be the one that found that and comes out with that. Absolutely. It's just not there. That's why they're not finding it. Absolutely, that's a great point because that would be a game changer, and that would get them a Nobel Prize. Oh, for sure, they would love that. <laughs> it would make their career. Yeah, but yeah, like there's there's no suppression. They would love any of that. The only reason it's not coming out is because it's not there. There's nothing there to find. Wait, Glenn, didn't didn't your guy on that uh, that pamphlet you had say that uh, experts uh, confirmed that uh, the North America was populated in Peru? Uh, oh, not Peru, yeah. in yeah, Chile. Yeah, right. Chile. It migrated north and then stopped at the Hill Cumorra. Yep, there was nothing past <laughs> the Hill Cumorra. Don't they really like the Hope Wells for for the ne- for the Book of Mormon people? The Nephite explorer does. Yeah, I yeah, think the they Hope- really like the Hope Wells. Yeah. Did you listen to that episode, Mike? I have, I have not. We're, somebody brought it up when we were talking about it on a, one of the chat rooms, and they, they mentioned that you did an episode on it, but we were talking about the Hopewell what? people. As the Why haven't fights. you listened to it, Mike? <laughs> I haven't listened to a lot of it's, stuff. <laughs> it's only 30 minutes, and it's really good. Anyway, uh, Mike, uh, I want to know your theory of the Book of Mormon. Are you um, Mesoamerica? Are you uh, North America? Um, are you limited geography? Are you the whole goddamn two two continents? <laughs> this week I like the Hope Wells, but uh, last week I like the the uh, down in Peru. Uh, I, I bounce around. Oh, well, okay. There's, so uh, what? there's there's like the temple at uh, where they had the Golden Garden of Eden crafted, and uh, it it looks just like our temple. There's a Garden of Eden. There's a sun room. There's a moon room. What? Uh, <laughs> There's probably a stars room. I'm sure there's a stars room. I'm sure there was a creation room. There was a creation room, a sun room, a moon room, and they had a, a garden of Eden built from gold that was in there. Is this where they had plants is, and animals? Is this where Noah was having his dinner? No, it was not. It was uh, well, Glenn. You know that he was having dinner, though. You well, know the dinner he had he had dinner in the New World, right? I mean, he had dinner in the Americas. Yeah, because they didn't. Well, if it was yeah. pre-flood, yeah, of course. Right, it was right before the flood. It, so. it would have been more Hopewell, I would think. You know, that might have been <laughs> that might have been like a, a a foreshadowing of the Last Supper. It, it could have been. <laughs> okay, so 
Well, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out. This seems to be kind of like a mindless. I mean, not mindless, but it seems like the conversation <laughs> seems pretty aimless. Like we're just kind of going around and and kicking Mike's beliefs in the face. But like, what? I mean, what what is the, what is the overall takeaway from this? I and mean, what is the point of any of this? If, if the scriptures are true, Noah existed, and he's tied in tightly to all the other prophets. So the ten virgins existed. The ten virgins. Yeah, sure I mean that's a parable in the scriptures. And she's she's still on this thing with the with like how you said how if there's something's no not literally true, there's no value. And it's not in the script. Like the prodigal's on. Like there are tons of things in the scriptures that we can take value from, that we can learn from, that aren't literally. But they're true. only a value if they're applied to reality. You can take a, a a story like that, and but it has to be applied to something reality of value. If Christ. If the atonement is not true, then the, the story of the ten virgins has no value. See, and I think, like, value is such a soft, fuzzy word. You know, like, what, what is the most value that Mormonism has to give? It's priesthood and saving ordinances in the temple so that you don't go to hell, that you're able to be exalted, that you're able to pass through, you know, highest degree of celestial. That's value. But I don't think that's what you're talking about, Erica. You're talking about you can learn lessons and live a better life and be a better person because you're reading the stories and you know what the moral of the story is. Like, that's completely two different... different. Hold on. Yeah. This is not for Mike. This is for the rest. Um, somebody draw some kind of moral value out of God getting pissed off at, at humans and killing them all. Well, here's okay. the thing. This was not given to us. This was given to a people a long time ago. This is a way of, I don't know, I'm sure they have, the way that people talked 5,000 years ago and found value and, and talked about how the world worked is totally different than how we do today. So the value of it, I'm not saying, I mean, like, I don't know what I would take out of it. I think it's interesting to talk about, like, in, as in folklore, and how how it applies to the worth, how it applies to the world, and how it apply, applies to cultures. But I don't see very much value talking. I mean, now, but that doesn't mean it didn't have value for the people of that time. And thinking about God and thinking about how to live and things like that. Well, okay. Well, I want to take I want to take on Randy's challenge. Um, see, I was on a I was on a Mormon Stories Sunday School podcast about the flood. That was interesting. Um, but I, I mean, one one thing I think it could be like a value. Well, one interesting takeaway that you could take away from it, and this is totally. I mean, it, you have to see it as a completely metaphorical story, not true at all. But like, if you look at the if you look at the ark as like a symbol of a metaphor for like the womb and God, and basically in the metaphor we exchange our place with God. So you get to a place where you starting over and like kind of renewing your life and starting from starting from scratch. Of course, there are some horrific implications because basically you just wipe everything you had out. So it's more like a hard restart, like born identity or something. But if you wanted to like, I mean, that, that was something that I think, Eh, that, that's a metaphor that could be helpful at some point I, in your life. I'm sorry, Jake. I'm going to go point Randy on that one. I don't understand uh-huh. what you said at all. Yeah, I started to get a little sleepy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> sound if it, it sounded like Sunday like, school. Like, I mean, for, for, <laughs> to say that, that the, the value in the story is that God saves us? And no, because, no, because we're we're like nurtured in a womb. No, like but, no. no rebirth, like, like rebirth. You start you're over. starting over, right? So like if your you, life. Sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah. So put yourself in the position of God in this metaphor in the in the Noah thing, and you're Kill getting all to my a point. kids and start over with a new family. Well, but, okay. so well, it's, but it's not your kids, but you're restarting. <laughs> but you're you're restarting. You're renewing your life. You're restarting afresh. So you're and, you're, you're okay. going so metaphorically that these aren't actual people that are being killed in a flood. It's like whatever defect you have in your life, whatever troubles or problems you're having that you can start fresh. You can start anew and God yeah. will let you do that. And he'll support you through that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I mean. I'm not saying that I necessarily find that compelling, but that's one that's, that's the least horrific way of interpreting this thing. <laughs> oh, that's to me horrific on many different levels, but it just, I mean, like, I don't know. It, it, to, to me, it's ignoring what the, the Noah's Ark story is, and it's ignoring what the Bible is as an ancient record, as these epics, these sagas, the mythology of the the Hebrews, what function it had for that group of people, how it continued through time, why it's meaningful to us. You know, I mean, like, to me, that's a fascinating story. But, uh, you know, to, like, the, to, to take those stories and kind of sermonize on them to go, okay, here's, here's what we can learn in our daily lives. I, I don't know. I, 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 that yeah. I, I lost interest in that a long time ago. I think I, th- I think I kind of agree with that, but, um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't meaningful to, I mean, well, people who were reading the Old Testament at their time. And, you know what I mean? And Erica, I, I, if you haven't read, there's a book called Who Wrote the Bible um, by uh-huh. Richard Friedman that is really awesome. That it it explains how the how scholars believe that the Bible was put together, and there were these different sources. So there was like, right. uh, have you read it? I, I, I know I've read either. Yeah. Uh, I've either read something online that like describes it. Right. Or all of this is sounding very familiar. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, when <laughs> the, the, when the Israelites were one group of people, there was you know one set of stories. But when they broke into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Ephraim, then the story started shifting a little bit because they were reflecting the different political things that were going on. Right, and, diff- right. and so, like you know, when you're searching for meaning, what did it mean for the people of that time? And you start comparing the differences between like the E versions and the J versions then you start seeing that and then at a later point they come back together again and then there's these P sources priestly and D so you can go in and see that value there I I agree that but but to me it's so different than saying this is a real thing like what Joseph Smith did with it that was another example of pseudepigrapha from him assuming the voice of Moses and rewriting this the history of Enoch um, and and putting the Noah story in there and you know it was all just a reframing of it for the people of his day and for establishing himself as a a, a, an authority figure to to me that's the point of all of this stuff and so the the stakes today are if we reject the Noah story we reject Joseph Smith and Mike's not willing to do that. Well, I think, I don't know. I think it's definitely possible and probably healthy to accept and reject parts of Joseph Smith, parts of the Bible. I mean, like there's so many, I don't know. It's, I just don't think it's a healthy way of looking at life to accept it all at face value. But you want to be ordained to the priesthood. <laughs> I never said I was part of the ordained women movement. Oh, I'm, you just, I'm, just, she just I'm just going to conflate everything. She just has right short now. hair. 
hair's growing out too, is by it? the way. Okay. That's been a while. But what, an interesting thing is prior to the flood, everyone was coming up to Noah and said, we don't need you and your teachings. We've, we've married your daughters. Uh, our kids are growing up and they're, they're, they're growing up just fine. They're mighty men like the days of old. Uh, I don't, we don't need your teachings. Leave us alone. And, and as a matter of fact, a lot of them were starting to try to kill him. To kill who? And to, to kill Noah. So they, they married they the daughters that had been prostitutes? So were they still prostituting themselves as they were married? Because no. there was evil, e- evil continually, man. They settled down. Yeah, exactly right. they, human centipede. Everyone was wrapped up in everybody's going to be diverse, and aren't we all going to be different? We'll just glorify in our differences, and we don't need you, Noah, to teach us anything. <laughs> so the sins of Noah's day were like <laughs> liberal politics of today. Did they elect a black president, Mike? They probably did. They elected a black president, and that's why they needed to be wiped out. I can see where the story is going. Was Noah's last name? Was Noah's last name Beck? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> that's what they told Noah. Noah we're Hannity. just fine. We don't need you. Leave us alone. And they rejected Noah and his priesthood and the teachings of God. Mm. And, um, and they probably instituted gay marriage, too. Yes. They pr- <laughs> well, probably they did. Been. Here's the thing, though. There are plenty of people in the Mormon church who have as strong of a testimony as Mike does, but sees it very differently. I actually had a, a former bishop today tell me that he thought the flood was a local event. And that's when I laughed in his face. But Mike, so I interviewed Mike. Like, uh, seriously, Mike, like, I interviewed... my mom has a very strong testimony, but she doesn't believe this. She she read the, she heard about the Noah thing. She's like, yeah, they needed to get someone else to write that. But you need to go tell her bishop on her. The bishop knows exactly where my mom go, stands. Go tell a responsible man what should happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Go find a responsible <laughs> man. Like, my mom went to but, divinity like I, school, okay? Like she, that's the problem. She's, she, like, she's too it's, educated. It's very positive <laughs> to say that you yeah. have the testimony. Like, I don't know. I think that's a good thing. <sighs> Mike, <laughs> Mike I, interviewed, um, I interviewed this guy, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, who's like the Bigfoot expert at Idaho State University, um, and he's <laughs> he's a devout person. Mormon. Wait, is he uh, is he in uh, is he uh, on the same level as the unicorn expert at uh, Brown <laughs> University? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably not. But um, but I asked him about the flood, and he had no problem writing this off as a local event. And this is a guy who's written. Um, in defense of, then why the hell would he build a you know, Book of Mormon. He's, I mean, he's an he's an apologist. <laughs> I listened to everything he said about the Bigfoot evidence, and although I think there's no credible evidence that Big, Bigfoot exists, I think there's a lot more, more evidence for Bigfoot than there is for the flood happening. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there's some great stories out of Russia about the Bigfoot lady that uh, moved in a village and had children with some of the local men after they got drunk and had sex with her. <laughs> Mm. That, that, re- that kind of reminds me of uh, my favorite Noah story. Uh, my favorite Noah story is when he got so pissed drunk that he, f- oh, yeah. that, he, that he was naked, passed out on his bed. And for some reason, Ham got cursed by walking into the room and not covering his body. And the, the Japheth and Seth came in and walked in backwards with a sheet and covered his body and they got blessed and all their posterity. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, Ham, just, it's I in the Bible. That, that was dying. But that's not yeah. the real curse of Ham. Ham Hammett was trying to steal the priesthood from his father. That is why he was cursed. Yeah, Apocryphal source. 
It's you not know, you, you didn't say you know though. So that's, <laughs> that's, no. a, that's a plus. So, so the reason the reason that Noah was exposed was because Ham was like trying to check out the markings in his garments and needed a closer look. <laughs> right? He was naked. He was, right. He was that's stealing why. the garment pattern while his father was drunk. Yep. Oh, now you know the rest like, of the story. But I'm not and making that up. Am I, Mike? That like that's not I. I'm not the source of that. You've heard this before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, uh, he was that's stealing like, you know, the, was the robes of the priesthood. Yeah. Can we do Can we do a gag reel with each of these stories like sync together? I think that all this is That'd is one awesome. continuous gag reel, <laughs> and, and I don't necessarily mean gag as a joke. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, like vomit. Yeah, like, <laughs> thank that, you. That gag gag was pretty good. Right. That was a good gag gag. <laughs> is there any? Is there Should we wrap else up about Noah to discuss? What? Is there anything else about Noah to discuss? Uh, didn't, I I didn't tell didn't the story about. It was so cold on the ark oh, that right. he got a shaking cough and was coughing blood on the ark. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, but so tell, us, tell us, Mike, about the yeah, Tell us about the bodies that were hitting the side of the ark as it yes, was taking off. That's, that's one of the things they recorded is as, as the ark was lifting off, the bodies of the people that were dead were hitting against the side, and it bothered them. Uh, that's going to be in the movie, probably. No, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. What about like were, were there people that like ran to the ark and are like save us, save us, save us? And he's like, ah, fuck you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Too Thanks late, sucker. They had their chance. Yeah. Thanks for returning my lawnmower, Dale. <laughs> how, did, how did they? How did they have their chance? Like, if they were on another continent, how did they have? Noah their and his sons. Noah and his sons all repeatedly tried to to teach people, and they were all rejected. But like globally, China, even like, even yeah, like they they went to they went to like ancient China. Well, it's pre like, well, um, Every village. And... They probably hadn't spread out that far yet because we're only talking about four generations from Adam. <laughs> yeah, and each generation lived a thousand years. And you also had Enix people that did all their proselyting as well. But I don't know. Like, I don't know if each person that lived during that time had the same lifespan, or if it was just the priesthood that was keeping people alive that long. Oh, I'm sure everyone would live that. Oh, long. you are. You're sure. Uh, what, what what sense would it make that the priesthood live longer than the regular people? What sense would it make? <laughs> okay. 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 Right. Yeah, right. that would be crazy. What what sense would it make for a an, a human to to live a thousand years? Like, do you know what your knees would look like after a thousand years? <laughs> I love you went to that part of the body. I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> I was thinking like how far your ball sack would be hanging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Noah received the priesthood when he was 10. He was prophesied that he would be born. So he was like a expected child like uh, like John the Baptist was or Christ was. Uh, received the priesthood at 10, and then uh, he was perfect in his generation. And he walked with God. Anyone for the closing prayer? I love it when women say it. And now it's time for a breakdown. Hi. This is Julianne from Kaysville, Utah, where in my gospel doctrine class recently, I was likened unto the Samaritan people because of my tattoos. You may comment on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, even if you have tattoos, 
give the Quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes, like I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? No, did you hear what I said earlier, Erica, that, you know, it's like the ordained women equivalent. You've got a ticket. Now you're sitting in general priesthood session of conference. And so it's 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 oh, unknown territory. We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. it's true. The it world could. might implode. Well, we know what happened to Mormon discussions when that was allowed. What was that? They've never been Mormon the same discussions. Since. What is that? Is that, a, is that a thing? Oh, expression. I'm sorry. What did you Mormon say? Expression when they started, when they started letting more women participate. It, who does anybody listen to that <laughs> show anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it, it slid off into really? gibberish. <laughs> oh gosh! I, I seem to remember that happening about the time you first came on. <laughs> that was the golden oh, age of the show. All right, Thank the Jay Golden Kimball oh. age of the show. Thank you for listening to. Prince of Thrones.